Welcome to the Cubs Weekly Podcast on Marquee Sports Network, presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. As a reminder, we're available on all podcast platforms, so be sure to rate and subscribe. I'm Chris Emma, alongside my colleague Andy Martinez. Andy, it was a tough homestand for the Cubs, a four and five homestand. They cap it off, taking two out of three from the Reds. But it's not the meatloaf you want after dropping the series finale. We're recording this here on Wednesday after this 4-3 loss to the Rays. Andy, what were your takeaways from this game? And obviously, I think it has to start with uh, the absence of Justin Steele after going out with left forearm tightness. Yeah, Justin Steele's the, the big story from that game. Even if they'd come back to win, I think the, all the headlines would have been about Justin Steele just because he's been so crucial to this rotation, right? Where it's like you knew you know what you're getting out of Marcus Stroman. He's, no doubt he's the team's ace. Drew Smiley's been really good, but... Justin Steele's really having a breakout campaign where it's like it's really early and like I hate to try and assess things two months into the season, but like he was on a Cy Young contending path, right? Like he was just that good. Like the numbers he's putting up are that good. The injury, we don't know the extent of it. David Ross mentioned his exact words were, "We don't want to sound any alarms just yet." Like like there's they're not overly concerned yet, but they're not also like they they know they're not out of the woods yet. Like there's there's still kind of a lot to go. Justin Seals getting imaging done on Thursday. Again, we're recording Wednesday after the their loss to the race. So they, they've got they've got some timing and, and they'll they'll figure out kind of what the what the next steps are. Probably on Friday, more so when when the, the Cubs play San Diego and, and David Ross meets with the media again. But any kind of substantial amount of time that, that Seal loses is a big loss to this Cubs rotation because he is one of the stalwarts. He's really established himself as a number two on this rotation and realistically the way he's pitching could be a number one on a lot of other teams. Yeah. And not only just what he brings every fifth day where you really feel like they got a chance to win because Justin's still starting, but this also a young guy is kind of coming into his own. Like it's a guy who we've seen really uh, hone his craft, understand kind of what's working and what can keep improving. He's a guy who seems to be arrow pointing up. You hope it is a short-term thing. You hope it's just a minor setback uh, because obviously big picture ramifications is this is a guy you want out there long-term to continue that development track. And, you know, Jed Hoyer talks about that next great Cubs team. Like, I don't know if this is necessarily somebody, Justin Still, you would have penciled in and said, this is a top of the rotation guy for the next great Cubs team, but he's earned that place. It, it, you've seen that kind of ascension and he, he looks like a guy who wants to take that and grab by the horns. Yeah. I mean, like every time he was out there this season, like, like you, you touched on it, you felt like the Cubs we're probably going to win, or at least they had a very good chance of winning just the way he pitches, right? Like you knew he was going to go out there, probably go six innings, a lot less than two runs. For a while there, you, you just kind of pictured he would go six innings of shutout ball. Like that was just kind of what you expected out of Justin Steele. But if, if, they, if it is any kind of loss, it's really big. What Who comes up after that is, is kind of the big question. We saw the Cubs recall Hayden Wesneski from AAA Iowa on Tuesday, and the thinking there was to have more depth, right, where they have someone that can go multiple innings, can cover um, the long relief role. The, the Cubs had kind of two of those options last year at the end of the season with Keegan Thompson and Adbert Alzali. This year it was really just Javier Assad and kind of Keegan Thompson. I think they envisioned Keegan Thompson more as like he can go three innings, he can go one inning, he can kind of do a little bit of everything. And he never really matured into either of those roles. So he's back down in Iowa. They really only have Javier Assad as their long guy and, and – the, the trouble became with guys like Jamison Tyone and Kyle Hendricks where Jamison Tyone came back from injury and was de- definitely needed someone to piggyback off of him. Kyle Hendricks coming back from not having pitched in like a year, really, you needed some, you needed that security blanket of like, if he can't go long, you need someone that can cover those innings. And that, that's where Javier Assad fit. 
but there you can't do that back to back or two and three days. So you needed that extra arm. Hayden Wesneski was that security blanket. He can't, he was needed a lot quicker than I think the Cubs would have planned for coming off of Justin Steele. He could be the next guy to step up in the rotation, but Javier Sad could too. He had, he was getting stretched out in Iowa was a starter with triple a Iowa. He could be in that starter role for Steele If he misses any kind of time again, we don't know that as of now, but those are two options that could fill in in the rotation. Yeah. And the move with was coincidental, right? He comes back up, they get him ready for this relief role. And suddenly he might be a candidate to yeah. jump back in the rotation. It's a fine line between the long-term development of a young arm that you really believe in and a guy of, you know, you're using this relief role as a chance to kind of improve him as a starter. Uh, it's a decision both of what can help you now and also what's best for Hayden Wisniewski's development as well as Javier Assad. Uh, in terms of this rotation right now, I keep thinking about how it kind of comes back to Jameson Tyone, a guy you give yeah. four-year deal to, a guy you're really counting on to be an anchor for this rotation and feel like what we talked about. Every fifth day, you got a chance to win. Unfortunately, it's not been that for Jameson Tyone. The peripherals say he's been better than his ERA. I do believe in that stuff. I know you do as well, but... You want to see him really kind of prove it. You want to see the results from a guy where he takes the mound. You know, okay, we're in good shape here. And he's not there yet. I, I think he will just because he's a veteran. He's a guy who's been there before. He's never really had, like, he's kind of like a horrendous season where, oh, no, he's regressing back to that. Like, I believe in Jameson Tyone still, but you lose the security blanket of having Justin Steele just like Marcus Stroman. Kyle Hendricks is still settling back into the rotation. Drew Smiley has been very good, so credit to him there. But I think it puts a lot more on Jameson Tyone to be – reliable and consistent in this rotation. Yeah, and, and that's one thing I wrote about on MarqueeSportsNetwork.com. One of the reasons the Cubs aren't really too overly concerned about Jamison Tyone's little start is, like, the peripherals, as you mentioned, are, like, kind of in line. If you look at a stuff plus grades, which measures the the pitches of, of a pitcher based on their movement and release angle and, and a, a whole wide range of metrics, they're roughly the same from where they were last year when he was, you know, a really good pitcher for the Yankees. So stuff-wise, things are very similar to where he was last year. That's kind of why the Cubs aren't, like, as Jed Hoyer mentioned, they're not not concerned about it, but they're also not not putting resource into trying to to figure out what, what the solution is. There's been flashes. Like, there's, there's one inning, two innings, every outing where, like, I think that's what – that's the Jamison tie-on that's there. Can he do that over four innings, over five innings, over six innings? The, the hope is for the Cubs that they, they can do that because, that, like you mentioned, if Steele's gone for any sort of time, that puts a strain on, on guys like Drew Smiley and Marcus Stroman. And in a tough West Coast road trip where you got four games against the Padres, three games against the Angels, who are pretty darn good, and then the Giants, who are – that's a tough place to play. Like, you, you want to be able to have that security of Jamison Tyon to, to kind of be, a, be an anchor, as you said, in the rotation. 24 and 31 as they leave this homestand. Four and five homestand, you said it, Andy. Heading out west, tough road trip. You got some good opponents there. Granted, Potters have a team kind of scuffling a little bit. Angels have been up and down, but we know the talent there. And then San Francisco's kind of overachieving a little bit so far. But your takeaways from this homestand, obviously a tough one. And you said it, the, the mood in the clubhouse was one after that series finale, the, the homestand finale that reflected, man, that was a missed opportunity. Yeah, it, it, it was weird because they won two of three against the Rays, which I think if you would have said a week ago, hey, you're going to take two or three from the Rays and from the Mets, you would have been really happy with the homestand. The sweep by the Reds kind of spoils everything a little bit, and David Ross mentioned that. Like, that's kind of like a missed opportunity, right? Like the, the, But the Reds have also been playing hot. He also mentioned that like they played really well against the Red Sox, and, and it's not like the, the – the Reds are a very interesting team where it's like I think I fall into the trap too, but I think everyone falls into the trap of like, oh, they're, they're just the Reds, and, and they, they, they have a lot of interesting young guys like Jonathan India, Ellie De La Cruz is on the way. There, there's just a lot of interesting pieces there that I, I don't write off the Reds too too much. 
But it's still a bad sweep, right? To, to get swept by the Reds is still not ideal. But there's that that fine line of like, okay, you took two out of three from the Rays. You had an opportunity to sweep. Like That kind of shows the identity of who they are. And I think what was really, to me, the most telling thing was it's kind of who the Cubs predicated themselves on who they were going to be in the, in the offseason and spring training. They said they're going to be a team based on starting pitching and defense. And if you looked at that Rays series, Marcus Stroman, complete game shutout. Kyle Hendricks was solid, and, and the bullpen covered four innings in in relief. Uh, Hayden Wesneski comes in after Justin Steele threw th- three perfect innings and was solid in, in relief. The defense was pretty solid, and they got just enough runs to, to win those two games. Had a chance, had multiple chances, really, in the finale to, to take the sweep. Like That's kind of the Cubs' identity of who they thought they were going to be. If you can start seeing that over and over again, then maybe you start feeling like, all right, th- this ship is getting righted a little bit. Yeah, later in this podcast, our guy Tony Andraki is going to talk with Carlos Pena, among other topics, about those runners in scoring position and those clutch hitting spots. And it came down to serious finale. You get bases loaded, one out, key chance you can tie the game or win it there, and you can't come through. It's frustrating, right, because this is a team we've heard a lot about. Dave Ross has even said it's tough to win within the margins. These, these tight games, you want to be pulling through in these. I think the silver lining of this race series, Andy, is that they were, like you said, they played some really good ball with Marcus Stroman on Memorial Day, and then you get a strong performance from Hendricks, and even just losing by one run in the series finale. It's not a moral victory, but it's kind of bouncing back from that red series where you felt like the air was out of the tires, and they were kind of getting beaten around and blown out. That, that Friday game was one that just completely got away from them. Saturday and Sunday, it slips away. You're thinking, man, this that wasn't the Cubs that we had seen this year where they're losing into these close games, and you know they play this good defense and sound, uh, sound baseball, and it wasn't really there over the weekend. It was nice to see this team really kind of bounce back in the series against the team that's been the best in baseball so far. Two out of three, yes, obviously it's a little unfulfilling when you drop that series finale and you know you had a chance to win it. But I think you saw this team kind of get back on track and revert back to, to what we've seen so far. Yeah, and what was impressive is like when we go back to the pitching and, and defense aspect of it, like the Rays were the are the best offense in baseball, right? No one had, going into this series, no one had more hits, no one had a higher OPS, no one had more home runs. Like, they were leading in almost every statistical category offensively as a team in baseball. So you kind of expected, like, if the Cubs are going to beat them, they're going to have to mash their way to victories, and that was not at all what happened. Marcus Stroman shuts them down. They allowed just one run in 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 the second game, and then they allow four. Like, I think if you would have said you, you would allow five runs over the three games, you would have liked your chances of winning the series. That's a good, those, those are the kind of things you take, like, okay, even if there's a good offense, even if there's a really good lineup, the ability to limit that offense is really important. And, and that kind of, again, wipes away some of the, the frustration of the Red Series. Still, there should still be frustration. I think the Cubs still have plenty of frustration that that, that is a missed opportunity. But as Ian Hat mentioned after the game, like the, the goal is still to win the division. And they're still in the hunt. And, and that's all you can ask for. And as the calendar turns to June, the ability to maybe build off of this, this series win against the Rays Win a couple games on the on this road trip, kind of get back, kind of get back things going. It's big and it's an opportunity to kind of put yourself back in a position to to really be pushing for the NL Central crown. I, I want to ask you because we we've seen David Ross kind of tinkering with this lineup and the bullpen and trying to find the right mix. Where do you think he is? Then where do you think Jed Hoyer gets to a degree too in terms of evaluating this team and talk, trying to find that right formula for the lineup mix? Obviously now with the rotation where you're wondering if you might be missing Justin Steele at all. And then obviously the bullpen's been kind of mix and match all season. Just kind of where do you see this team and, of course, with the manager in terms of trying to find it? 
It's it's really interesting because it's a team that you see the flashes. Like I, I think in April there was a little bit of overperforming, which is okay. Like that's what you want, right? If you're going to have a successful season, there's going to be some overperforming. The Rays had that; they won 13 or so games to begin the season. Like that that is that is overperforming. Like you don't win 13 in a row every single season. That that is some level of overperforming. The 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 interesting thing is like there was such an underperformance in in April or excuse me in May that like it kind of evened out. So I think we're seeing kind of like what the team is, where there, there's there's ability to get on base, there's ability to create runs. It's now just having that big knock, which, as you mentioned, Carlos Pena and Tony and Jackie talk about it later in the podcast, but like it's so much easier said than done. It's kind of bad luck for the Cubs that you think eventually they're going to get one of these big hits to fall. Like It just has to happen, and so far this season it hasn't happened, and that's tough because that you're not winning those games. You're not winning – Instead of taking two or three from the Rays, maybe you, you sweep, maybe uh, you, you win a few more games earlier in, in May that you're instead of being seven, eight games under 500, maybe you're at 500 or a little bit above 500 and, and pushing the, the Brewers for the NL Central. Like, it's, it's just an interesting team that I think they're still trying to find their identity. And there's a chance that June is the, the month that we really see what the Cubs are made of and who they are as a team. Yeah, you, you said it well there. The, the, the silver lining is that nobody's really winning the NL Central right now. The Brewers have been up and down, mostly down as of late. They're still in first place uh, at the time we record this, but it's still right there for the taking. Uh, but I guess from the Cubs' perspective, what's frustrating is that I feel like this team has lost more of these games where it was right there for the taking than they've won, than they've kind of stolen away. Uh, but it, one of the bright spots for me in terms of this homestand and kind of moving forward really is Seiya Suzuki's been raking. Yeah. Like, and you, yeah. you, you felt good because you, you really liked that one, two, three with Nico Horner at the top, Dansby Swanson, Ian Hamp's been, you know, he's, he's kind of dipped in power, but he's been he's still hitting, getting on base. Seiya Suzuki really seems like he's kind of found it. And, you know, last year, obviously, he's a rookie kind of settling in. There were the adjustments, both in terms of lifestyle and obviously in terms of facing major league pitching. I, from your perspective, you see this, like this is a guy who's continuing to ascend and make that kind of jump you want? Yeah, I think so. And I, I mean, I think the prime example was when he came up in the ninth inning against the Rays in the finale, you kind of just expected him to get on base. Obviously, he flew out, so he, he, he didn't do it. But he has been hitting the ball so well. He's been so locked in at the plate that you kind of expected him to just do something in that moment. He did it throughout the game. I think he was two for four, two for three. He, I know he had two knocks for sure, but it was just an impressive display of who he is and there's just the sweet stroke, the the batter, the the, the the eye at the plate that's really, really strong. I mean, he he is becoming the middle of the order force that the Cubs thought they signed last year. And if that is the case, and then you can bring back a ho- healthy Cody Bellinger, and those guys at the top are still producing as they are, I think Trey Mancini's going to have some positive regression here at, at, at some point. Like, then you're starting to, the lineup is really starting to lengthen out. And then it's interesting, like, someone like Mike Talkman, who's looked really impressive since he's been been brought up, like, he is, it's just incredible what he's done that that really lengthens the lineup from one through nine, but also on the bench that he can turn, that David Ross can turn to someone and say, this guy's coming up and, and, and can deliver for us. Yeah, Cody Bellinger uh, progressing from that knee bruise. He, he's hopefully getting closer. The, you said they. It's a much different lineup with that guy in it, and especially what we talked about, the one, two, three, and then say in the cleanup spot, you really like the makeup, and Ross has been kind of talking about it. It's not the top of the order. They want more out of the bottom of the order. You deepen the lineup when you do get Cody Bellinger back, and you feel better about kind of the way you're running out there, one through nine, and getting more production out of that group. Uh, Matt Mervis has kind of taken a little bit of a downslide, and, and, and you know it's a guy who's we've seen with so many rookies before. These promising guys who light up AAA come to the majors, and it's just it's a different animal when you're trying to face these kind of pitchers. 
you're around this team constantly. What have you seen of both uh, Matt Mervis and then also the, the players around him in terms of keeping his head in the right spot and knowing that you know it, it can all break through here soon? Yeah, there's something that interesting that David Ross mentioned uh, th- Wednesday, excuse me, uh, before the game where he said these veterans are are leaning on or are turning to guys like Matt Mervis or Christopher Morrell and like helping them through these struggles. Because Christopher Morrell, I mean, he came up and it seemed like every other at bat was going to be a, a home run. Just just the way he was hitting, you knew that was going to cool down. He he has cooled down a little bit, but Dansby Swanson talked about or with David Ross about how when he came up in Atlanta, he had such some veterans that he leaned on that helped him through the the trials of being a rookie and and trying to win and trying to compete while you're still adjusting to the league that is adjusting to you, right? And is finding your weaknesses and trying to exploit those weaknesses. For Matt Mervis, the the, the teams know his weaknesses in our attack and his weaknesses, and, and he's not adjusting yet. So now it's like, okay, can we see those adjustments? There's moments where you're, you're seeing him spit on some, some off-speed pitches that, that are breaking just outside of the zone that you're like, okay, that's that's the early sign. He's not doing it regularly enough that like he really, that like is showing you that he has made that adjustment. But when he's making those incremental improvements in that aspect, it's, it's a good sign for him that he's improving and developing as a hitter, which is which is what you expected when you brought him up. Yeah, good thing is it seems like there's a process of patience, and he certainly has the support of this team. Uh, let's wrap it up here. you got a road trip coming up, another another long, tough road trip. It starts with a four-game wraparound series in San Diego. What are you looking for on this road trip? Yeah, I want to see what the if the pitching can sustain what they did, in, in, especially in this race series. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Justin Steele. But if the starting pitching can, can kind of perform like it did against the Rays and a little bit against the Mets, and I think that gives them an opportunity to, to have some success against the Padres and against the Angels and against the Giants, a really tough stretch that I think will we'll kind of say a lot about this team and that the starting pitching is where it all starts. It's cliche. Every mantra you want to say, momentum is the next day starting pitching, whatever you want to say. Like it's true for the Cubs right now where it's you got to see what, what, what you can get out of your starters and, and if they can put you in a position to win because that, that's – that's what the name of the game is right now for the Cubs. Yeah, for me, I, I believe you're going to get a breakthrough and some reversal of those weird baseball fortunes with the runners in scoring position. Some clutch hitting you'll get out of this team. You mentioned it. The starting rotation's been pretty good. I'm eager to see this bullpen. I think you're starting to see them kind of put the pieces together. Albert Alzale, love that two-inning save on Tuesday night. He's a guy who could be maybe a guy at the back end of this rotation. Mark Leiter's been terrific. I'm curious to see how this bullpen develops. And if you can win some of these close games on the West Coast where – you're facing these good teams are coming down to the wire, and your bullpen is the reason why you're able to pull through in these games. So the Cubs look looking to bounce back. It's been a tough homestand, four and five. They salvaged it with two out of three against the Rays, but dropped that series finale. Uh, off to the West Coast now. Uh, coming up next, our own Tony Andraki is going to talk with Carlos Pena, the longtime big leaguer and Marquee Sports Network contributor. He's going to talk about how the Cubs can turn the season around, uh, what we mentioned, the clutch hitting woes, uh, and many more aspects of this team. That's coming up next on the Cubs Weekly Podcast. We know you love Chicago. You devour the pizza, admire Chicago's skyline, and cheer on Chicago sports teams, especially the Cubs. If you wanted to live in a more boring place, you'd live in St. Louis. Why not bank with Chicago's bank too? Upgrade your wallet with an exclusive Wintrust Cubs debit card, which you can get when you open a Wintrust Cubs checking account. Show your Cubs pride and open an account at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. All right, Tony and Jackie here with Carlos Pena, Marquee Sports Network analyst, 14-year big league veteran. Carlos, we're going to kind of get your insight just on this Cubs team in general and 
what have you seen from them so far? We're about two months in. Memorial Day is typically like that first benchmark in, a, in an MLB season. You know what your team is, or at least you're getting an idea of it. What do you think this Cubs team is so far? Well, I mean, uh, at the beginning of the season, I saw that there was definitely um, capability of, of, of uh, success here, right? There's, the team has all the tools necessary to actually succeed. Um, so I, I think it's fair to say that the team is underachieving here in the first third of the season, especially when you look at the fact that if you look at the o, OPS plus, for example, uh, which is a very good measure of uh, your offense, right? Well, the Cubs are above league average, uh, around 6% above league average. So you're like, okay, yeah, but what about their pitching? Well, if you look at their starting pitching, they're also above league average, a few percentages, I think it's three or, or 2% above league average. So you're like, okay, so if I do the math correctly, they should be at least a 500 and, and, and certainly, you know, very possible to be above 500 with those type of numbers. Yeah. And yet they're not. So you're like, okay, they are underachieving. And, if you talk to everyone in, in that clubhouse, they would pretty much tell you the same thing. It's like, we're better than this. And that's very encouraging. I mean, I know that's not where you want to be, but when you see the numbers, you tell yourself, hey, uh, it, we, we can get this going. Uh, we, we can put ourselves in pretty good position, especially on a division that even though we're playing at our worst, we're still within striking distance, five or so games uh, behind first place after such a tough stretch of games. That's encouraging. So it's time to just kind of, get a little bit of fire underneath you and, and get going because the tools are certainly there. So take us inside a clubhouse because you hit on a lot of really important points, right? Like the underlying metrics show that this is a good team. I mean, the run differential as we're recording here you know, before Tuesday's game is a positive run differential. Like their record should be, like you said, right around 500 or so. They've been a little bit unlucky. They obviously have had some misfortune in one run games, you know, two and 10 as of recording this here. So Take us inside the clubhouse, like when you know that, when you know that the numbers sh say that you should be a little bit better, what's your mindset as a team and trying to get out of this? Because it has been a tough stretch. It's been a tough month of May. And you know that, hey, we're, we're turning the calendar to June. Like there's a little sense of urgency, but also understanding like, hey, stay the course because we're doing something right. Yeah, it, it's, it's that uh, combination, that balance that you're trying to strike, right? So it's very important, I've learned over the years because I was that guy many times where let's say I got off to a slow start and I would say I trust myself everything's going to be okay everything's going to be okay so you try to kind of just uh, put it to the side and not really address the issue um, for the sake of being confident right but I think that's a mistake um, as I went along in my career I realized that it's best to just say hey we're not playing well you're not swinging the bat man this is it's not this is unacceptable and you know the production is just below par so let's let's make an adjustment and get going. So it's very important to address the issue, kind of acknowledge the fact that you haven't, the fact that you haven't been playing up to your capability. That's number one. And then after that, then be a, a very good evaluator of, of your at bats or of your performance. Like you said, hey guys, we're putting together some good at bats. We're really playing well, you know, offensively as a collective unit. So yeah, let's make some adjustments and improvements, but. Yeah, let's kind of stay the course. Let's continue to have quality of bats. And you don't want to get to the point where you try to do too much and then actually regress because you get out of your element, you get out of your approach. So there's a balance there that you have to strike. But you must address it as a team in the clubhouse sooner rather than later. 
And two, I think one of the issues plaguing this team is Jed Hoyer even said at the beginning of this homestand is leverage moments. So particularly on offense, when you're coming up with guys in scoring position and you know that the numbers overall are good, like Cubs are drawing a ton of walks. They're right up there with the league leaders on base percentage, you know, overall good offensive st statistics, as you pointed to. But when runners are in scoring position, when there are high leverage moments, it's not quite as much like they're subpar, sub average on that. Does that become mental? And then how do you get over that mental hurdle to, to continue to have the same numbers or the same at-bats, regardless of whether there's a guy on second and two outs or a guy on third and one out, whatever it is? Yes, that's precisely why I was mentioning the fact that you have to be a good evaluator. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, you can say, hey, we are collectively better than average, you know, offensively and better than average um, with the starting pitching. Okay, that's true. However, when you do those numbers, you are including every single situation, including the ones that perhaps are not as high leverage. Even if the high leverage situations you're struggling, well, when there isn't uh, high leverage situations, you are succeeding. So they kind of balance each other out and you could be fooled into thinking, oh, we are, we're fine. Well, if you address the issue, it's like, yeah, we're doing well, but guess what? Running a scoring position, we're not. We're not getting those key outs. We're not shutting down the door, you know, when the bullpen comes in, which is very evident. You know, yeah. it's been well documented. So, again, in the clubhouse, you say, guys, you know, we got the tools. Man, when it, but when it's crunch time, we're not delivering. And it's okay to say it, you know, in that, in, in that setting. And everybody will probably agree upon that. So what do we have to do? We have to elevate our game when it comes to those situations. And by that, I don't mean try harder. I mean, maybe even focusing, slowing down a little bit more. Don't try to do too much. Be single-minded. Have a very straightforward approach um, and a specific approach against the pitcher you're facing. Look for one pitch instead of try to cover the entire strike zone. So all these, thing, all these things are uh, key to success under pressure. Do you remember a point in your career where you were that guy saying like, hey, we need to figure something out. We need to change gears a bit. Or do you remember like a teammate doing it and you know, it resonating with you as one of the other members of the team. Well, you know, it got to the point where I, I felt comfortable enough to be able to call a meeting, to be able to like put a stop to, to a, a bad slide. And I felt comfortable enough to call a meeting and talk uh, as a team. And uh, I, I learned quickly. I mean, I remember even uh, in one point over Joe, Joe Madden didn't yeah. want to call a meeting one time over there when I was in Tampa Bay. And uh, I'm like, Joe, we need to call a meeting, man. The guys are flat. You know, the guys are not really, I don't know, I, I just think we, we just need to stop this negative snowball effect going on. We need to stop it. And I think the best way to do it is just let's get together and talk about it. And Joe was like, no, no, we, I think we're fine. Let's not make a big deal out of it. And I totally disagree with Joe, you know, but I did not do it. And we lost the following game. And I was like, forget it. You know what? I'm calling a meeting. Close doors. Let's call a meeting. And we talked about it. And I'm not saying that that's why we turned it around, but lo and behold, <laughs> we actually started playing better immediately after the meeting. It was almost like addressing the elephant in the room just took the pressure off. Just making it conscious for everybody to yes. like deal with it and move on. Yeah. I, I often tell the story of like, hey, you know, there's, there's a little dragon underneath the bed. But if you do not address the dragon, the dragon is going to grow and grow and grow to the point where it's no longer manageable. And I would say that's a life lesson, right? Like, let's address the problems while they're manageable instead of ignoring them, ignoring them until they grow and now they overtake us. Um, that applies to sports. So I think that's sort of the approach that the Cubs want to take here in the first third, just put a stop to the bleeding and get going in a different direction. So does a meeting like that, a conversation like that, does that have to come from the players or do you think it's better from a manager or like 
is it something a manager cannot do because it has to be internal into those guys on the roster? Man, I love it when a player does it. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, yesterday, uh, speaking of the Memorial Day, uh, awesome pitching performance yeah. by Strowman. Like, I'm thinking to myself, wow, like he would be the perfect guy to be like, all right, guys, uh, you know, the stop, the, the, the buck stopped with me. You know, the, we stopped the bleeding right there against the best team in baseball. It's a great opportunity to say, this is what we're capable of doing. We can play with everybody. Even though everyone understands it and you kind of think it, it's great to vocalize it, to actually, like, write it down, you know. Yeah. And now you're like, okay, we made it a point. This could be a turning um, a point in the season. So let's make it so. Uh, this is a great opportunity. And, and, and the whole entire epic, yeah. um, you know, that, that you're trying to write when you play sports, yeah. right? Like, it's part of it. It's like, hey, Memorial Day. This, you know, Strowman comes out and just defeats the best team in baseball. Not only defeats him, but dominates the best team in baseball. Hey, this could be a turning point. And you try to grab whatever you can to inspire, you know, the ball club. And I think, uh, you know, win like yesterday's win, um, Memorial Day's win, is, uh, is a great great opportunity to do so. We've heard a lot from this Cubs team about chemistry already. Like even Jameson Tyon earlier in the homestand here was talking about this is a great group. It would be a great group to win with. And I feel like we've heard that to a man so far is just talking about the chemistry and talking about the group of guys. Obviously the results haven't quite matched up, but this chemistry thing seems like it was kind of a little something there, maybe a little bit different than years past. But in your experience, like how much does chemistry matter to wins and losses on the field and how much can chemistry matter in a moment like this where you're struggling, you're maybe not playing up to the potential that you know you have, that outsiders think you might have. How much does that chemistry matter? I think it matters a lot. And sometimes we can't really quantify it perhaps uh, with statistics and things like that. But if anyone who's been part of a group understands that when the group is close-knit, when the group is uh, able to, everyone is able to express their ideas or their opinions, without uh, a feeling like they have to uh, maybe, oh, I'm afraid of offending my, my teammate. No, you, you say things respectfully, everything is going to be okay. Um, and it may be like, hey, man, I need, you to get, I need you to get here a little bit earlier so we can go in the cage together. And you, you tell them you know, by the side, that's, that's what chemistry allows. And the other person doesn't get offended. You're just like, oh, man, yeah, you, you're right. I better get going. All right, you know, and you can, it's like a brothers with brothers just trying to pull... Uh, the rope in the same direction. Chemistry, chemistry matters a lot. And another thing that I'm going to say is this. When you feel comfortable around your teammates, it's fun to go to the baseball park. It's fun to go work in the cage with them. You know, if there is no chemistry and, and you really do not like to be in the clubhouse, I mean, it's a long year. So think about in any endeavor, it doesn't even matter what industry you're working in, anything. It could be in, in an office building. If you don't like the guy yeah. in, the, in the next door cubicle, you know, you guess not going to work in synergy, you know. So I do believe in, in team chemistry. I think it's extremely powerful. Um, Cubs coming up have a super long West Coast trip. I mean, they're gone for 12 days. It's 10 games, you know, Padres, Angels, Giants. We always hear so much about, like, the dreaded West Coast trip, especially for, like, a team from the Central or East. Is it better to almost to like get them all out of the way at once, right? To like go there, get adjusted to the West time zone, and then just kind of be used to it for a couple of weeks. Like, is that is there something to that at all? And then how difficult of a stretch is this for a team that hasn't quite yet found its mojo to go and play ten games against three really good teams here? Yeah, well, you saw what happened uh, when when the Cubs, you know, first game against the Rays. It really didn't matter even before. 
um, losing to the Reds yeah. um, and, and getting swept at the Reds. And then here comes the race, best team in baseball. My goodness, we didn't do well against a mediocre team. And now here comes the best team in baseball. You know, what are they going to do? They're going to roll over us. And it wasn't the case. So going against better teams could actually be good because you somehow bear down. Not that you take the Reds for granted. They're all professional ball players in that field. It doesn't matter who you're playing. And you can beat or be beaten by any team in any day when you play Major League Baseball. But sometimes you do bear down against those tough teams. And you kind of say, man, we can't slack off today. Maybe even if it isn't your subconscious mind. Um, and then going to the West Coast, it is real. You know, it's fun when you go over there and once you get there and then you go to sleep, you wake up super early and like, because you, you gain some sleep yeah. hours, you're like, wow, I feel refreshed. Well, get all those games, you know, under your belt while you are nice and rested. You felt like you got a break on your rest because you gained time going out west. Get them out of the way. Coming back, though, is gonna, you're going to suffer yeah. because it's going to be the, uh, the opposite. But imagine if you go on that road trip and you actually win more than you lose. That is that is part of that turning point that I'm talking about. So finish strong uh, the homestand, right? And then go on the road and do well on the road, win the series on the road. And next thing you know, we're looking at the Cubs season totally different in about a span of two weeks. Last thing from us uh, before we let you go here, Matt Mervis, Cubs rookie first baseman. He's been up here for almost a month now, but I'm just curious, like, you're – analysis I guess of him so far what have you seen from him in his first month or so in the big leagues and um, defensively offensively plate approach you know etc like what have you seen from a guy like Mervis you know I can say he's most definitely capable I mean what we saw in the minor leagues it's it's real and it can play up here um, of course you know the the adjustment when it when it comes to getting down to a big league big league p pitching and being able to adapt to big league pitching it requires you to have a plan um, I think in the minor leagues, you could default pitchers. Like you can say, you know what, I'm just going to look away and react in. That's, that's a very common default approach of all hitters. I'm going to look for a fastball away, I'll react when it's thrown inside. But you do that to big league pitchers, you're going to be in a whole lot of trouble. You almost have to go out there and look for one area, one velocity, one speed, and get on it to hit. You know, you can't try to cover the entire strike zone. So I think that's the adjustment uh, he will have to make. Um, instead of waiting for the pitcher to come to him, you almost have to hunt the pitcher. Otherwise, you will only perform when the pitcher cooperates with you. As far as tools are concerned, they're all there. Defensively, I see the work ethic. So he's putting in the work, you know, uh, in pregame and getting extra work. So I'm not even concerned at all about that. Um, for young hitters, I'm mostly concerned about that part of strategy when it comes to being in the box. And uh, Mervis seems like he's got a good head on his shoulder, so I don't, I don't expect him to, uh, for there to be too, much, uh, too long of a learning curve. Does that come with like confidence too and like knowing that you belong up here in the big leagues? Because I imagine, and going back to Joe Madden, he always talked about these different stages, right? Like just happy to be here and then you know, you know you belong, You're, you feel confident inside that you belong. Is that a matter of that for Mervis to like get to that point to know, to go on the attack for pitchers versus just reacting to what they're throwing him? Yeah, that comfort is, is such a, a big, it plays a, a big role, right? Because if you're sitting there and you're still concerned about maybe I, I have to do whatever I can to stay here and um, you're, you're a little bit more reluctant to 
actually go away from what you did in the minor leagues, right? Like you're like, well, I'm just gonna stay doing what I did in the minor leagues because that's what got me here. Well, what got you there doesn't necessarily have to be what keeps you up here. So it takes a little bit of a leap of faith, but I would go further. Like if you look at the numbers and you do a little bit of studying, you would understand that it's not so much, you know, having a lot of faith. It's more about like, wait a second, I can see that this guy likes to pound hitters inside. I mean, that's what he does. I can see it. 80% of his fastballs are in. Okay, then I'm going to sit on it. Instead of being stubborn and saying, no, in the minor leagues, I looked away and reacted in. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think the information, which should be better, it is better in the yeah. major leagues than it is in the minor leagues, is going to serve him well. It's, it's only a matter of him paying attention and actually applying it. Well, Carlos, thanks so much for stopping by and uh, dropping some knowledge on us in the Cubs season. <laughs> Always a pleasure, guys. Let's, let's do it again. Sounds good. Well, there's opportunity on the West Coast. The Cubs can use that as a catalyst to potentially turn the season around. We heard it from Tony and from Carlos. Andy, what are your thoughts on that? What can the Cubs get accomplished as they head out west? Yeah, I mean, uh, Trey Mancini talked about it after the finale against the Rays. Their last West Coast road trip was pretty nice, right? Taking two out of three against the Dodgers, sweeping the A's. Like, that's a that's a good momentum builder, right? And and you want to replicate that success in this West Coast road trip because if you can do that, that's a good springboard to come home. you got an interesting June where, where the schedule's not as tough as it was in May. You're not playing the Rays. You're not playing the Mets. Like, that that allows you to, to kind of go on a run to, to get back in the division like we talked about. Yeah, stay the course. It's still early, early in the season. There's opportunity still there. That'll do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and check us out in video form on Marquee Sports Network app and on YouTube.